0: 30 years ago, Joanna, Doug, and I met at the University of Virginia's Darden Business School. Now, after years of experiences, we are visiting with our classmates to ask, if you could have a beer with your younger self right after graduating with your MBA, what were the key decision points in your career path? What advice would you provide? And what are the stories behind the lessons?
1: Our guest today is Graham Anthony. After graduating from UVA, Graham spent his early career in Charlottesville as an entrepreneur, co-founding a men's apparel manufacturing company and the Charlottesville Business Journal. After graduating from Darden as a Batten scholar, Graham has spent the vast majority of his career in financial services. The past few decades, he has served as president of Anthony Advisors, providing strategic M&A services to middle market companies, completing over 30 transactions. He has also served as investor, board member, and CFO of BioVista, an early pioneer and leader in applying artificial intelligence to bioscience. Please join me in welcoming Graham Anthony.
0: Well, welcome Graham. I think we've had a couple of really fun uh, episodes. Graham, you know, the, the, the prompt is, um, uh you know if you could go back and have your have a beer with your former self at the business school you know what would you tell yourself what what sort of uh um, you know what are the learnings and 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 what what are the decision points in your life you know one of the things that i haven't really learned too much about grant exactly is what uh tell us i'm interested in what did you I know what you did a little bit before DART. You had a couple of businesses that you ran, but the the first couple of businesses right after, Graham, uh, after business school, what did you, you know, what was your, sure. what'd you do? Sure. That- right. So,
2: so, um, yeah, linear has not been my life progression. And the first bit of advice I'd probably give myself, uh, is don't have so many beers, uh, but do have as many friends to have beers. So, so, uh, so that's, uh, that's, that's good. Um, so after business, so before business school, as you know, I I started a small manufacturing business. I got out of out of UVA with an English degree, and uh, no idea what I was going to do. Um, I borrowed two thousand dollars from my mom and started a small manufacturing business um, uh, with the business plan being right out of the uh, uh, industry. The history class I took on the Industrial Revolution. Um, so uh, it was all you know putting out piecework, you know buying raw materials you know designing stuff, getting it cut down and and pretty soon we were selling to about 600 stores um, across uh, the country and then the Recession hit. Uh, the DIDMCA law was passed and it caused a real estate recession, which apparently they were the major buyers of men's clothes. Uh, so, uh, apparently all those real estate agents. So, at that about half of my customers, small men's clothing stores, went out of business, but nonetheless, the business is still around today. Um, I see it get pictures, people send me pictures of stuff they see, and uh, you know, had I been slightly, you know, uh, you know, more inspired person. I probably we probably could have turned it into a vineyard, vines or something, but we didn't. Um, the uh, uh, the then after that, um, I could only grow so fast because you know there was um, strong working capital needs in that sort of business, so we can only grow as fast as our capital base. Something I didn't really know learn until I went to Darden. I was like, oh gosh, wish I had known that. Uh, and then I started a small newspaper, um, uh, which is also still around today as a supplement to uh, the main newspaper that acquired it many years later, and um, and uh, that helped me, you know, uh, have more of a fixed cost business that I could put energy into without needing more capital. And so the two of those worked pretty well until I got the call from Darden, and they said, "Hey, would you like to to attend?" And I, you know, played a little poker. I said, "Well, golly, you know, I have some opportunity cost," and they said, "You know." We have this media fellowship called the Batten Fellowship that, uh, you know, um, let me see if if there's one available. And so they were kind enough. And uh, two weeks time, I was offered uh, to come to Darden and they gave me a scholarship. I sold uh, one of the businesses and then later the other and uh, was off to the races. So uh, Darden was just great. It was probably one of my favorite educational experiences ever. It was just, just tremendous. You know, smart people. And again, you got to see all the things you'd done wrong in business before you like, oh, that's what that was, or oh, wow, that's why that works that way. So that was fascinating. Um, and then, um, you know, I thought, well, you know, owning and running businesses, that's a lot of work. I, You know, I, I thought, you know what I'd like to be as a sophisticated salesman with a product that has roughly a six-week cycle time. So I was thinking, well, you know, investment banking, you're selling something, you know, um, interesting. And uh, little did I long know, it's almost never a six-week cycle time. It's probably,
3: you know, <laughs> months,
2: sometimes years, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, I digress. <laughs> Darn it. Uh, so, um uh, I went up to Bankers Trust um, um, and uh, I got a job uh, there working. in so it was called origination, high yield origination. So uh, I got to basically, uh, you know, work 100 hours a week plus uh, for uh, the bank, tr- you know, trying to fund deals for, you know, private equity firms, the Hicks Muses, the Tom Lees of the world, the Criminal Fringe, as uh, I used to joke. Um And, uh, you know, they're established, well-established, great firms these days. And, uh, uh, it was a great learning experience. Um, but that was tiring too. I'm like, man. Uh, so I, I left there, I bought a business, um, grew that business. Um, you know, again, in 2020 hindsight, I made a mistake. We, you know, I, I sent all my, I had about 50 people. I used to, you know, there was a golly, what was it? Um, National Geographic World had this uh, back page It's Kids Magazine, and it said Kids Did It. And so we had 50 employees in this book publishing company, and uh, I was called it Kids Did It. And I sent a bunch of these guys off to a marketing conference, and they came back, and they said, well, you're selling the idea, not the product. So I, I looked at the cover of the magazine, of the, the catalog. This is back when we sold books with a catalog. I was like, Golly, this looks like a clothing magazine, but you know what? I don't want to disempower these guys, but I just had my gut. I knew it wasn't going to work. So we lost a chunk of money on that catalog. And my partners were like, you know what? Thanks. We'll take it from here. What was interesting about that is we were selling more books on the internet. Um, that was, I just viewed the internet as a second channel um, to the regular phone banks that we had. And that people would we'd send out a catalog. People would call in and um, uh, the, uh, we were selling more books on the internet than anyone. Uh, This was '96, maybe '97, Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm. and
2: uh, and uh, of course, had I had a different vision, you know, um, maybe Mr. Bezos would have had a little run for his money. But uh, but I was just pleased the kids did it. We uh, you know uh, ran the business and grew it nicely. But so then I left there, and I was actually uh, you know um, you know it was a it was a bit of looking at my navel. You know, I felt like I'd failed on that catalog. So I went and got some. I uh, did a, um, something called the Hoffman quadrinity process, which a number of our other classmates have done and helped me reset. And then that next year I went and did some M and a hung my own shingle, did some MA work and made more money than I'd ever made in my life. Got my first real folding money, put in my pocket. Um, and that took a little bit of the wolf away from the door. He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't at the door. He wasn't gone from the yard, but at least he wasn't nipping at the door. Uh, but he was far from shot. <laughs> and uh, then for the next golly um, ten years was it or so till till about 2005 however many years that was I you know just did a bunch of M and A transactions mostly buy side but some sell side um, uh, for uh, a bunch of clients every one of my clients has been a repeat client so that's a really good mm-hmm. sign I've, mm-hmm. um, I've never done a deal with someone and not done another deal with them so so that was good. Um, and, uh, uh, then around 2005, I was just shot. And I just said, as I joke, I made enough money, hadn't made enough money to retire, but I made enough money not to work for a real long time. And I just, I called my client. I was supposed to get on a Sunday night plane. Um, and I just called him and I said, I, I I said, we just closed the deal. Are you good? He goes, yeah, we're good. And, uh, so, and I just did wonderfully nothing for a month or two. And it, it always is the case with, I find with investment bankers that when they stop doing something or they leave their job or whatever, all of a sudden they they begin to have a life. So I, I met a girl, um, you know, uh, got you know moved to the Midwest, got engaged, got married, had a kid, and uh, then um, people kept calling me to do some deals. So I continued to do one or two deals a year, but it wasn't you know focus. Um, um, I took some time to invest in. Um, some biotech which I knew absolutely nothing about but I knew the people from socially uh, and it seemed like good guys and so I did that and that that was a whole nother learning experience Um, and the story on that is still yet to be written Um, boy we've had our tales you know you know the problem with early adoption of ideas is sometimes you're not only early you're way early as, as you know uh, uh Fletch, as you had said, and um, I think it was Riser's podcast, you know, is it the team versus the idea? And I think we all came down on that. You all came down on that call. And, and I would agree that the team is more important than a deal I, than the idea in, in any mature business. In these newer businesses, sometimes the idea can be really powerful, but sometimes it takes a really long time. So we're, you know, we're uh, actually, you know, Tom's an investor, Tom, uh, we, we have um, a call, a second call on Thursday with a big fortune, whatever buyer. So we'll, we'll go to the altar yet again and see what happens.
3: Well, I was just
0: thinking you've gone from, you know, something that in theory had a sales cycle of, of six weeks to something that has a sales cycle that has essentially been infinite. (laughs) (laughs) So far. (laughs) Safety tip. So remind
2: myself, my 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 younger self, that <laughs> next time I have a beer. Well, with
1: yeah, you know, I mean, the 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 point um, that you're bringing up, which has been you know which has been a thing that's recurred in my own career is the is the topic of timing and you know when we talk to riser you know he's looking at mature businesses that are you know that have been around for decades are proven business models you know proven uh, market bases but with new ideas you know timing is so critical and you've you know and and in my life i've been too early Mm-hmm. you know, more than too late. I'd almost want to be late later than than too early, but um but that's been the story of BioVista. It's a great business, it's a great idea, it's a great um uh team and and as you've learned, you know, being too early, you just have to have this the sustainability to ride it out until the market catches up with you, you know.
0: Yep. Right. Yep. And it was yeah. the same it was the same thing with StemGen. I was just talking to the chief scientist of, of StemGen, which is startup that Ian and 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 I did uh, in the mid to you know aughts or whatever twenty twenty eight or you know and it also was just too early and um, you know there's all there's just nothing you can do when the market isn't ready for you. Yeah.
1: Hey, so Graham, here's a question for you as it relates to this topic. Before we move on, you know, uh, we are tentatively titling our podcast next time around. And, you know, with with the hope that maybe with a little bit of hindsight, you know, we would be smarter the second time around. um, Do you think there's any is there any framework or is there any, you know, mental mind model that you could. Take into a new business venture to assess the readiness of of the marketplace. Like if you could go back and look at Biovista with fresh eyes, is there is there is there any way to codify some of that learning, or is it, it not so much?
2: Boy, I didn't prepare for that question. <laughs> um, you know, when 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 a bunch of us invested in Biovista, so I I so it was like 2004 or five, somewhere in there. Um, no, it might've been 2006. You know, we had thought we did the right thing. So I so I put some money in, and it wasn't a huge amount of money um, into whatever it was at the beginning. And then two, I sat, worked with the business for two years and and we had had at, at the point, two years later, at the point that I brought in other investors, um, Tom and, and some of our other classmates, um, you know, we had um, a product that worked. We had a team that was together. We had a reference customer who said, who I met with, I had dinner with, who said, yes, we were going, we are going to do this. It was a great big company called uh, uh, Boringer Ingelheim, pharmaceutical company, Beringer Ingelheim. Um, uh, And now I thought it was pretty much a done deal. Um, uh, But apparently the guy got in there and and, um, uh, you know, didn't follow through. So, you know, what I've learned is, I, I guess what I would say, I would tell my old self that large organizations don't operate like small businesses. Mm. And um, if you're used to small businesses where you have decision makers and people look each other in the eye and they say they're gonna do something, you know, don't expect that necessarily to occur in large organizations. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be the the key learning, I would say. You know, know your know your market. I just didn't know the market. I remember writing one of our investors, this great guy named Ted, who said, "I said, I said, I just had absolutely no idea how dysfunctional large organizations could be." And he just laughed and he said we knew Graham, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Good. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Timing, timing, timing's hard to figure out. I mean, you know, Tom, you know, Mark also mentioned the idea about, you know, I wish I'd asked more due diligence questions, but at some point, you know, there's no way to know until you take that. Take that step nope. and see, you know, see what it is. But timing does play in a, a, a role for sure, and 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 early stage mm-hmm. ventures. But anyway, we digress. Let's. Yeah, uh, let's, you know,
0: let's, just let's, I'm thinking, thinking back to the to the E class ex- experience, and you know, we were we were successful initially because I was selling mostly to my peers in Silicon Valley who are in direct marketing organizations and everybody had the same pain point so it was easy just to you know whip all that whip all those customers out um but when we started to get to the outside of the silicon valley we we're selling fedex and bmg music and the guys with the mouse um you know the sales cycle just exploded into you know and frankly um um you know, the dollar value was not there. It was just, you know, it was more, uh, you know, they, they weren't, they weren't, they weren't as good a customer from a, uh, profit standpoint as some of the, some of the more medium sized businesses. So yeah, the, the sales cycle on these really big, if you're going to be doing a startup, if you're set, if your customer is a huge company, you better have a really long runway. <laughs> so yeah.
2: So, you know, it, it is what it is and and uh um uh but you know it's it's been very gratifying. We have had a, a bunch of success over the years. A um, bunch of companies. Uh, they all tend to reor- reorganize just as you're delivering your first bit of uh, information. Uh, literally, we've had six Fortune 50 com- companies as customers of Biovista, and all six of them have reorganized. You know, right around the time we delivered our, our data. I remember the first one was a, um, you know, the largest drug company in the world, remain nameless. Um, they had 181 people in the in the 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 division that we were selling into, and uh, they loved us. We guy named Don was the head of the business. Um, We went uh, when we signed the agreement with him. He had no, he had six hundred people in his division. It was designed for repurposing drugs, um, or and and finding common mechanisms. Um, Then they put the contract. That was the sort of the the letter of intent. And then uh, he said, "Look, I need to put it on hold." He had to lay off four hundred of his six hundred people, or four hundred and twenty actually of his six hundred people. Um, between then and Christmas, and then in January, Trudy he came back and we signed an agreement. He had 161 people in his business. When we delivered the first report, we delivered it to the 23 people that were left in the in the division. And then uh, when we delivered our final report, there were two people left in the division. So large organizations, I guess one of the good advice is that large organizations or something, if you're going to sell into it, you really have to understand it. You have to have a long runway, and you have to, um, you know, you you have to um, ex- expect that things like that will occur. But I, you know, you might want to cut all of this cause I'm not a, a large organization expert. So, uh, but I, you might well, just keep I, the I sound think, bite.
4: I don't know why you'd want, anyways, I think you, what you're saying is great because I've always been on the other side dealing with that guy, helping him facilitate the, the, the reorganization of 400 people and then revamping how the org will work and then doing the second one. So it's like, it's, it says something to me about maybe how you managed it. And I wanna understand, like you went from pitching to what, 23 people down to two. And my, my brain instantly went, was it the two guys that he wanted to pitch to like uh, our gals or whatever. I was like, you're, you're having to be very flexible through that process that I think it takes a special person to realize you're literally rebuilding that relationship throughout, mm. you know, because I'm going, wow, two people at the end. I'm hoping it's the people.
2: We'd already sold them, Joanna. We sold them oh, okay. in, in October. We'd signed with them in January we gotten paid. We, we they were just, we were just delivering to, to a, 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 okay. a vanishing, a vanishing group, but let's not waste our time on, on the dysfunction of large organizations in America. Let's focus on, uh, on other things. Um, oh. Yep. So, so most of my life, I, what I've done well um, is, um, you know, help people buy and sell businesses that that's what I've done well. And, you know, uh, I guess, as you saw in my homework, I would say that that know thyself. If I had to, to talk to myself, my younger self, I would first say, know thyself. What are you good at? What are you bad at? Um, and, um, and what blind spots do you have? And so for me, um, what I found that I'm particularly good at um, is sitting on the same side of the table with someone um, and listening to their hopes, fears, and dreams, and then helping them find a way to get to their hopes and dreams and away from their fears and i find if i can if i can sit with them and truly with their best interest in heart help them navigate that path and selling that business as part of it generally they will throw me the keys as they run towards that goal and um and i tend to deal with entrepreneurs so they have a greater degree of freedom than 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 most but um you know um and you know um uh so so that's you know pretty much what i'm good at which is listening to people and um, helping them, you know, understand what it is they want, how their current situation fits into that and how we can possibly, and in some cases we can't, you know, or don't, we shouldn't, right? You know, like, no, really, you should keep this business and give it to the next generation because that is your highest and best, you know, outcome here for what you're trying to do. But sometimes it's like, yeah, you want to do this? Well, you know, if you do this, this, and this, this is how we can help you get, there. And he'll, they'll go, yeah, here, here are the keys. I'm running to that goal. Um, so that's what I'm good at. And I think that comes from being sort of people, and I don't know, maybe I'm, you know, and again, I mean, it's a blind spot, but I think that most people look at me and they go, well, Graham might be this or that, but he truly has my best interest at heart, you know? And so this is something I didn't put in the notes, but, um, you know, I break trust into three buckets. I look in any situation uh, in three buckets, and I would tell my younger self this, but I'm not sure I didn't see that at that point. Um, the first is: Does the other party, whether it's a business deal or a social interaction or or anything, um, a co-working situation, does that person wish me well? That's the first level of trust. And if they wish me well, do they have the ability to do what they say they're going to do? You know, um, if it's a you know, an, you know, a commercial activity or or a goal you know, do they have the ability? So for example, I might wish a brain cancer patient well, I certainly don't have the, the ability to, mm-hmm. you know, do brain surgery. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third one part is a little more tricky. It's like, if they wish you well, and they have the ability, are they operating in an environment in which they'll be successful?
3: Mm-hmm. So for
2: example, you know, they could be, wish me well, they could be the best brain surgeon in the world, but, you know, if their operating room is, uh, you know, J- Jana's uh, screensaver of a beach with a tree, they don't, they're not operating in a situation where they can be successful. Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe coconuts work, but I uh, <laughs> so. So uh, replace my brain with a coconut <laughs> <That> might
3: help. <laughs> so uh, yeah.
2: so th- that's that's probably, you know, that's value added, hopefully, um, that I would have told myself. And then, you know, I, for me, I said, you know, it's also important to know what you're bad at. Um, mm-hmm. and so I tend to, um, you know, I, I tend to, you know, I go, I go to bed at night feeling pretty good about myself. I mean, I, I might wish I did something better, but I never say like, well, I acted in bad intent. So I sleep pretty well. What, um, and because of that, I'm pretty much think everyone else are kind decent solid people that wish me well. Right. Um, um, and so I am bad sometimes at, at judging people. So mm. what I, um, so, cause I just assume that everyone's going to be a decent, solid person. Um, um, and I think that, you know, most people are decent, solid people, full stop. Um, that what Riser said in, in it was either Riser or Riser. It was yeah. Riser that said, said, you know, people uh-huh. have their incentives and in that, you know, people are largely going to do what's right for them as well as they should. Right. Um, uh, but sometimes seeing what that is, you know, is important and and I've had some blind spots. So I don't like running businesses and I don't like, um, managing people because I tend to be, you know, you know, too trusting, too nice, uh, you know, and not hard ass enough. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I do think it's important to have managers that hold people accountable, um, you know, to set goals and, and, you know, have rewards and consequences. I really liked how, uh, Mike Burke Change the incentive structure that you know, for those that haven't heard Mike's podcast, it was great. He had a salesperson who was only selling house insurance, not car insurance. And he said, well, why don't you sell the car insurance? Well, the house is just a lot easier and I get 25 bucks for it. And I don't get anything for the car. He goes, you're not getting a hundred bucks for a car and nothing for the house. She <laughs> <laughs> sold 43 cars and houses the next day. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I think, you know, understanding, you know, the incentives, um, you know, uh, the other, you know, in managing businesses, because I have done that for a while, um, you know, managing the cash is just, and again, I'm talking small businesses, you know, managing the cash is really critical. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I have a quote that you guys have probably heard that most businesses die from, bleed to death from hundreds of paper cuts, most from checks under a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so you know, when we were kids they, in the in back, and I think back to that book publishing company where kids did it, you know, we went from, you know, you know, it was again, this was a long time ago. And this was a small business. We went from like $2 million in sales or a million eight to a little over 6 million in a brief period of time. And we were blowing and going. We were making money with good margins. We had everything right. So I wasn't controlling the cash as well as perhaps I should. I, You know, I remember once I saw we had a conference. We had a conference division. We had a lot of stuff going on. I thought I think you came to one of those
1: conferences. I did. It was, it was awesome. Yep. And
2: so we had these shirts made up that they were like, you know, back to so long ago, it was the chambray, you know, jean shirt that was really happening. <laughs> so we had them with our little logo on and, and uh, uh, we had them at the conference, the conference attendees, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then we came home. I see this case of shirts and the thing. That's, and I said, what's that? He goes, well, not everyone was able to attend the conference and so not everyone got a shirt. So I just ordered another 50 shirts.
3: You know,
0: <laughs> it's
2: like, so it's things like that. And, and had I been a tight ass and controlled the cash better, I might've weathered the, uh, you know, the bad cover on that catalog better, you know, and, you know, 2020 hindsight. So anyway, I've decided I'm very good at listening to seeing opportunities Um, you know, bringing people and opportunities together, listening to their hopes, fears, and dreams to make those opportunities happen or to motivate them to move in that direction. Not very good at uh, managing day-to-day operations. That's uh, know thyself. So that would probably be, you know, a second thing uh, that I would say. Um, And then, you know, some deal specific um, uh, stuff. You know, you guys have, you know, uh, heard me say a lot, time is the enemy of the deal. Uh, you know, I think Reiser said, you know, he had two businesses that if he hadn't closed them in 2008, they never would have closed. Um, and, uh, you know, time, you know, you, and again, that's timing, but also time is the enemy of the deal. If you let deals go too long, uh, they, you know, they can go sideways. Um, you know, the classic is, you know, lots of stories where people let things slip a little bit and, you know. Uh, plane flew into a building and messed things up, you know, Um, you know, the the uh, I think Tom says that, you know, uh, E-Class closed at, what, 10 in the morning. And if the closing had been that afternoon, it might not have closed.
3: That's
0: true.
2: Yeah. And again, those are external events, but nonetheless, time, you know, time and chance happeneth to us all. Mm
3: -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm.
2: So so also in the deal business, the best piece piece of advice uh, a friend of mine ever said I gave him was you know, you don't have to answer right at the moment. You can say, gee, that's a lot to think about. Let me think about it and I'll get back to you.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, now, uh, Burke would say, all right, how about next is seven days enough? How about next Tuesday at 10? <laughs> that would be Burke's response. <laughs> but I think most people, you know, they're, they don't they don't pin people down like that. Even if it's just 24 hours, you don't have to respond in the moment. And, and, um, and uh, my buddy, you know, said that was worth, you know, yeah a lot to him um, in selling his business that, you know, taking that approach. So that might be. Yeah, some- my
0: my partner had a similar thing that he used to say, which was, uh, you know, once you get, you, you come to an understanding, um, you very calmly say that sounds great. I think we've got a, a really good framework here and uh, let's write that down. And, you know, just that concept of, okay, let's, once people put things to paper, they're like, Oh, Oh, Maybe that's not what I want. (laughs) Yeah, Graham. But it's a a simple thing to say in a conversation, you know. Uh, That's a lot. That's a lot to think about. Let me think. You know, let me. You know, just a way to to kick out a negotiation some of these phrases, right? Yeah.
1: Uh, Graham, I love that. I love that uh, that line of yours that you know, time is the enemy of the deal, and I've you know that 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 line has been in my head for. Probably 20 years, certainly 15 years. I mean, this has been something that you have, you know, believed in for a long time, and it's it's it's, it's a great quote. And I uh, it always uh, I always think of it on Christmas Eve when I'm shopping at eight o'clock, and um, and there's like three items left in the store, and there's four, you know, guys that are in there shopping. I'm like, I'm gonna get screwed here. I know this, <laughs> but I'm. <laughs> what are you gonna do? anyway hey i i do have a question for you i think you're um you're i will say this you are one of the most self-aware people i know and it is not something that i'm good at i'm i'm not sure it's something that a lot of people are good at but i think it's i think it's part of your success is because you do understand yourself well and you stay in your lane like you know um what how does someone go about you know becoming more aware of what they're good at and and bad at is it something that you just learned over time you know through observation or what 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 thoughts do you have there
2: so i don't know if you remember the done deal mug uh-huh. this was bruner put this together i still have mine from 92 maybe 93 for those listening probably Everyone who's listening knows who Bob Bruner is, but uh, if someone goes beyond uh, uh, the Darden community to listen to our podcast, which hopefully millions will, Bob Bruner was a phenomenal uh, finance yes. professor and he went yes. on to become dean uh, dean of the Darden School and and just a an, uh, just a leader among men. But he put together this done deal mug that had these great quotes from you know deal doers over time, um, and. Um, uh my favorite, and I'm gonna paraphrase it, is Walter Riston's. And uh it he said, the thing we value, you know, oh, for those who don't know, Walter Riston was um the head of, I think it was Citibank back then, or mm-hmm. first first national Citibank, but probably back then in the 70s or late 60s. And he said, you know, you, you put on my your favorite old banker voice, he goes, you know, the thing we value around here is good judgment. The way you get good judgment is exercising a lot of judgment. Unfortunately, a lot of it bad. (laughs) So a lot of it bad judgment. (laughs) So I think you learn yourself about yourself by, you know, well, gee, I was good at that. Hmm, I wasn't so good at that Um, there. I would say that, you know, there's the business self and then there's the personal self. I can't think of enough fine things to say about the Hoffman Quadrinity process um, uh, that I've done. And again, a couple of our other classmates have done. Um, that helped me understand, you know, their basic philosophy is that we're a lot like a computer. We're programmed and we have a lot of software that's put on us from our parents and from our life experience. And we adopt okay. like a monkey would say, monkey see, monkey do, right? You know, the the baby monkey sees someone lick the reed or they you know, stick it in the and he'll pull the read out and then lick off the ants. And so the monkey sees and monkey does, right? Well, that works great when you're a primate in the jungle. Sometimes in 21st century America, you know, there's some, you know, you learn some behaviors that may or may not be so great. Right. Mm. So, um, so it helps you understand what, you know, the, the beliefs and behaviors that are controlling your life, mm. you know, the software you've been programming. The
1: software, yeah. Your operating system,
2: Right. And so you can then then if you have free will and choice to say, you know what, I've been running the software for 30 years. You know, maybe I'd like to disconnect from this software and do more of this software. Right. And and uh, they say that, you know, you do you to that that parental uh, input, you have one of three responses. Either you adopt the behavior, you know, you reject the behavior or you get a third party to enact that behavior upon you. You know, so, you know, if dad is, you know, um, you know, rude to waitstaff or something, you know, the son might grow up to be rude to waitstaff, or he might become overly kind to waitstaff, right? Or as a waiter, he might choose environments where he has abusive customers. Those would be the three ways it plays out. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I would say on the personal side of the equation, things like that are very good sources of Mm -hmm. self-knowledge. It certainly helped me. Um mm-hmm. and um uh so that's that's that that was one. Um okay. How's that answering the question? That's I good. Yeah, that's <laughs> No,
4: the, that's the foundation of cognitive like not behavior therapy. It's we can change how our minds work, knowing how something operates. Mm-hmm. So I think with you and your background, I mean it's like you've embraced that in such an amazing way. Um um, I'm curious about the, I'll probably circle back with you about the Hoffman opportunity process. That's yeah, that'll be that's, great to we'll learn more about.
2: Yeah, it, if, it, it, uh, yeah. And again, I, I didn't, you know, it's not something that they, people proselytize. Most people have done it, never talk about it and and they want it that way. They don't want people out there proselytizing, but you know, yeah. you asked a question, that's the answer to the question, for me, yeah. that was an answer, an answer to great. the question. And <laughs> Fletch will tell you, I needed a lot of help at different points in my life. So we all, we all did. We, yeah,
1: we all do. We, we all will. We, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I think I think you bring up a good point in that um, it's not something that we're born knowing this operating system software, you know, that mm-hmm. overlays, you know, our our brains. Um, you know, it's not something you're born knowing that your software is, is needs adjusting, or maybe your mind, you know, whatever got in your brain needs to get out of your brain. But, um, you know, it, it, it's something that, uh, we've, you know, we learn over time as adults. And as, as Joanna mentioned, the whole cognitive, you know, behavior therapy is, is a pretty, you know, pretty hot topic, you know, these days that we can actually go in and change our operating system, but it, it has, it, it has big implications for our, um, our careers and our personal lives, you know, Mm
2: -hmm. it it does. Um, You, again, for my homework, I did, um, you know, uh, a little bit more. Um, So I would say the things that I would tell myself, um, the two things that I've, where I've found myself trapped or caught up, and um, the first is a negativity bias. Um, even though I like and trust people, you know, I can be negative on certain situations and that's a pattern I adopted, right? That was I, um, a couple of the, the the people I looked up to as a child had a strong negativity bias. Um, I grew up in, you know, outside of, of New York City and Connecticut where in the 1960s, 70s, where most, you know, sort of senior corporate America's leadership lived there. And apparently the middle-aged men who lived there you know had a negativity bias (laughs) At least that was the style so i adopted i was like oh this is how successful men act so you know whatever so i found that to be highly unsuccessful in my life my negativity bias has done nothing but cost me
0: what is what does that mean what does that mean i don't understand what how uh, how, how does that manifest itself
2: Can I, can I, can I throw us both under the bus together, Tom? Sure. So Tom and I got it. We we looked at the thing, the the world in 2008, 2009, when it was collapsing, we said, this isn't going to end well. And then we watched, you know, um, you know, people, you know, print a lot of money, a lot of things going on. And we just said, you know what? We feel better keeping money in cash or venture things because this system isn't going to end well. Well, our negativity bias, I think, cost us three X. Tom, is that right? <laughs> so, sure, right, right. So you've made it up since then, uh, but then and, and I've done okay too. But uh, we had to shift from our negativity bias to dive in with both feet, you know. in, in, in March, April, you know, to you know, twenty twenty. But, but it sure would have been nice if we'd taken the ride from two thousand nine to two thousand
1: nineteen. So Graham, you know, if you, if you look at, you know, a negativity bias, if I can just like, uh, you know, understand what you mean by that, you're kind of saying the glass half full, uh, versus the glass, you know, a glass half Mm. empty versus a glass half full. Um, how do you, how do you counteract that today? You know, going back to knowing yourself, you know, when you're looking at, you know, the current situation or looking at opportunities, um, how do, How do you augment that that negativity bias?
2: Well, you know, I think that, um, you know, looking, you know and and, and I, I think looking at the past, you know, you can say, well, what, you know let's let's test this hypothesis. And over the history of our lifetime, um you know, over the history of the last two hundred years, you know, it's never paid, as Warren Buffett said, to bet against the United States, or the the capital markets in the United States. You know, that said, you know, maybe with this war about that potentially about to start with Russia, now is time to have a negativity bias. Maybe my negativity bias would finally pay off. But <laughs> I'm not. I'm still invested. You
1: know? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah.
2: So I, I did sell some stuff. I sold. I sold a lot of stuff on Friday. But you know, so that. So again, I, I use that. That's just one example. But you know, I. I think that, um. You know, being positive. And then testing your hypothesis are, are, is more powerful than being negative. So I just, I, and again, um, and maybe being neither negative nor positive, but just being present might be the strongest solution. And maybe when I'm 90, mm-hmm. if I make it that far, that's where I'll come out.
4: And it but, sounds uh, like you have, you've also built through that process, a huge amount of resiliency. Um, because especially in your line of business, being change resilient and not, a lot about negativity biases, you you remember the insults, right? You remember not the praise. So you remember losing the deal and you hang on to that belief as opposed to look at all the other deals or all the other situations in my life where I've been very successful. And um, what I'm curious is how do you maintain your resiliency through all this? Um, and I think you are kind of leading into that Response, but like I keep seeing how resilient you've been, and just growing your inner knowledge, the deals, the people you surround yourself Um, with—those are all elements to build continued resiliency and pivoting. (laughs) Besides the fact that you just have this great attitude and smile, and you always make me make me laugh and feel good, um, makes people feel comfortable, right? Well, I generally like people,
2: you know, um, (laughs) and, um, and, um, you know, I actually, I didn't always like people when I, and again, I I go back to Mike Burke's uh, thing where he was listening. It was like Zig Ziglar or something. My mom gave me a Zig Ziglar book and, you know, some other self-help books when I was about 12. (laughs) Um, And, uh, and I went, I went to bed every night and said, I like myself. I like other people. I like myself. I like other people. And I would say it like 20 times before I went to bed. And it took about three or four years, but I finally got around to. I like myself. I like other people. <laughs> it took a while to <laughs> unprogram that that childhood negativity, but uh, you know, yep. came around. Um, the uh, um, and again, I you know, it. it I'm just saying that um, maybe pessim instead of negativity, maybe pessimism is was the word and. Uh, mm. Um, and, uh, you know, so when I, maybe I should have said pessimism instead of negativity bias, um, the other thing I would give myself advice. And again, this has been probably the most expensive, uh, piece of advice. If I'd had it before, I'd be a lot wealthier man today, um, uh, is that take time to think and respond so that, gee, that's a lot to think about. Let me think about it and get back to you. That knowledge came from me, not doing that a lot. Me making a decision, a very quick decision on the spot, and I sent you a list of six opportunities that were in front of me um, where I just responded too quickly. In fact, Darden, I was ready to not go, uh, but fortunately, um, a friend of mine said, "No, listen, you have to go." <laughs> and I wish I, I'm glad I did. So um, um, uh, I was just going to turn it down, and then you know someone helped me think through it. But you know, I think through, you know, there's. Um, there was, a, you know, and again, I don't need to list all of these, all of these things, but, um, you know, I think that's sort of the takeaway, not responding to, not making decisions too quickly, particularly important mm-hmm. ones, you know, being open to opportunities um, that you might not otherwise consider. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, I think that's, that's good advice, you know,
3: mm-hmm. you know,
2: don't, don't decide on the spot, you know, think things through, get the counsel of your friends, um, you know, so. So I'll give you an example, a very current example. So um, my mom is, uh, uh, she has a case of, of this thing called 87. She's 87. Um, and it's coming with, you know, some bone breaks and some, you know, mental, the, she's still as absolutely sharp as, uh, you know, best conversationalist you'll ever have. But her situational awareness is decreasing such that, you know, um, you know, she needs perhaps 24-7 care. Mm.
3: Um,
2: and I look at, the cost of that and uh, the rack rate is just, it's its daunting. What clever and interesting things can I do uh, to, you know, to make A, mom's experience better and B, have it cost less. So that mm. true sort of entrepreneur, entrepreneurship. So the same sort of thought process that I applied that I started the manufacturing business, um, I said, oh, I can buy these inputs for X and it's worth Y. Uh, the same thing with the newspaper. I'm like, well, I can print it there. I can lay it up there. There's this new software program. This is back in the nineties or eighties. It was in the late eighties, early nineties, you know, new software, you can lay up, you know, you don't need a, a, you know, a bunch of galley and wax to print a newspaper anymore. And, you know, so taking the technology, the resources, the awareness of things and putting them together, you know, those are the, that those are the skill set that helped me start those two businesses that have helped me frankly put together deals most of the i've done probably 35 deals on my shingle i would say a full 20 of them um i didn't have a buyer or a seller i went and saw i saw a business and i saw that that person was ready to do something and i would find the buyer sometimes i didn't i you know sometimes i didn't even have an uh, and i wouldn't do this today but you know probably the the biggest deal I did in my early career, I didn't even have a piece of paper on it, Um, but I found the buyer and I found the seller. It was a fast moving market and I got paid, you know? And, uh, but so bringing things together. So I'm looking at, you know, what are clever ways that I can get mom high quality care without it costing an ungodly amount of money every month? And Mm -hmm. so do I buy, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. do I buy a, a big, beautiful house and say, hey, nursing students, you can live here for free. Um, you have to just have to do a, a four-hour shift once a day, you know, to sit with this nice old lady or just watch her while she sleeps, right? Then my cost is down in the single digit thousands, at least in the Midwest, right? So, you know, that's an idea. You know, I say, hey, room and board, you have all, you know, all the food you want. Place to a lovely place to 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 live, you know, and uh, you know you can live with six of your friends. We're a bigger house, you know, because most people don't have more than four hours. Do I buy a big house that has like six or eight bedrooms? Put you know the nursing students pick your friends, come here, you know, live here. Just each of you spend four hours a day with this nice old lady, you know, and then have someone come in and inspect because you get what you inspect, not what you expect. So that's an idea. So I'm sitting trying to work through different thought processes on how can I deliver high quality care for my mom, you know, at a more reasonable price, better Mm. care at a lower price. That's what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And I will put in a plug for this one business that I saw. So again, my mom, older, she didn't want to go to the doctor. She just didn't like it. Um, So, you know, we said, well, maybe they're doctors that make house calls. So this wonderful group, Someone, and again, it's a phenomenal business. And if I could invest in it, I would it's called Dispatch Health. They have a car with a doctor, a nurse, and an orderly, and a trunk full of stuff, whether it's saline or antibiotics or whatever. And they show up within 40 minutes. They deliver health in your home. Because most of the time, it's, it, those situations are fine, right? And they go away. And for older people, most of it's covered by Medicare. I mean, it's just phenomenal. So I, I look at models like that where you can deliver higher quality care, happier patient at a lower cost per unit because they don't have the overhead of, you know, the whole office and and all of that. I just think it's phenomenal. So I'm trying, you know, so I would say one other skill that I've, I've been good at is being able to bring pieces together and to see an opportunity and bring pieces together to try and solve uh, you know op, you know op, get an optimal outcome out of that and there's an you know so there's an example of I seeing someone else do that and and um, and I try, you know, trying to figure out how to do that with mom
1: so well good luck with that mm-hmm. um, you know the thing I see you dealing with with your mom is is a lot like I mean you reference this yourself it's a lot like the entrepreneurial process which is really about creative problem solving and trying to do more with less. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, I love, I love the way the thought process you're, you're taking, you know, with your mom's situation and, um, and good luck with that. I think we'll all probably be following your, uh, wisdom here in the next few years.
2: Well, let's have someone find this model because, uh, because the, uh, the, the off the rack model does not seem to be sustainable. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I do want to touch on another thing you said earlier, which I think is great wisdom, which is the idea of, you know, uh, when you're faced with a decision, not responding right away, but saying, you know, let me think on that for a little bit. You know, it's kind of the old adage of, you know, let me sleep on it sort of thing. And I was never good at that when I was younger. And I think as I've gotten older, I've found that what you've just said to be true. It's like, you know, let me sleep on it and see how I feel about it in the morning or sleep on it for a few nights. And, um, and, and oftentimes maybe we arrive at better decisions with 24 48 hours of of time to you know to time to thing on things i think that's I think that's great advice
2: yeah no it's and 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 also um you know um, one of the things that that um well, there are two things and again i I know we're coming up on the top of the hour um the, the first is just an observation and the second is, uh having some fun at, at Doug's expense here. But the uh the, the first observation is that um in dealing with this thing with my mom, I've been strangely calm. Um I sort of trusted. So I, I have to say, um you know for the whether you guys believe or not, I'm I, I'm just here to tell you God is taking care of my mom. I have yeah. seen situations through our entire my entire life where you know things materialized and mom you know, is just you know, she lives under a blessing, and I just have faith that this is going to work out. You know, um, um, and you know what? God was kind of have to put a lot of money in my pocket last year, much much of which is going to the government in about a month. But <laughs> but, but it, it gives me, it, you know, He took care of me in advance before I had to take care of my mom, and um, and uh, so I'm I'm just feel incredibly blessed. So that having that trust that it's going to work out and faith. Um, whether it's in your abilities or God or something else, I think is really trust and faith are really, really important things. And thankfulness, trust and thankfulness. Those would be two things I would give my younger self. And the second thing that I would say is, uh, uh, now Doug has changed it because he's moving with his camera, but there was a picture of him, uh, the younger Doug behind him and the current Doug above his, I think his child, he's at his parents' house right now visiting. And seeing that picture of young Doug above his bed, or maybe it was Doug's father. I just think that was a beautiful thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're right. No, I am. I am at my folks place. And I just had to move because my dad is, uh, he, I don't know if you guys can hear me. We may have a bad connection, but um, my dad doesn't have his hearing aids right now. Mm-hmm. And he was in the next room over and he had the TV so loud. I couldn't hear myself think. And I had to to a
4: different room even with the earphone oh my god uh, oh gosh uh. once a man twice a child that is um that is the journey I went on with my mom Graham and mm-hmm. it is something that in many ways faces all of us mm-hmm. and um I really think your attitude is amazing and um I really hope you do find a way to solution this problem, especially for um, the middle class and the lower income folks, if mm-hmm. we treat our elderly worse than we do some animals and shelters. Mm-hmm.
3: So I too mm-hmm. visited
4: some places that were just ridiculous. But um, so on that note, I think having that kind of having trust and faith, it will work out. Um, I, I wonder if you think that that has been part of your, um, kind of recipe for success.
2: Well, when I do it is, but I'll tell you, I'm telling my younger self that because I didn't have trust and faith when I was younger and I've come to it over time. And so I I think I would tell my younger self, have trust and faith that things will work out. You do the right thing. You may not win at everything, but you'll win it enough. Um, and, um, and, uh, you know, I think that's, that's the advice I take from it. And, and I think it's, I'm actually really excited by this challenge. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, what do you solve for? And, uh, you know, and again, I think I can solve the problem I just laid out. I think I can solve for um, right now that, but then you've got some other constraints, you know, again, problem solving, you know, it's, it's helpful to have constraints because it's hard to make decisions without them. Right. So for me, my mom's very visual and fortunately, her eyes are still good. So for her, you know, a visual horizon is important. So, um, you know, so i I actually have a call into another one of our classmates that um, just bought a house on the little lake that we live on. Um, yeah. um, but she hasn't moved in and I'm not sure she's ever going to move in. So I just called her and I said, I, I'm going to say, you know, are you are you keeping your house? Or are you selling it? If you want to sell it, can I buy it, please? And I thought I put mom in there and a bunch of nursing students. So we'll see.
1: I like okay. it. I think I think I think that's I think that's a fascinating idea. So keep us posted.
2: Yeah, uh, we'll we'll uh, you know we'll hope it'll work. And, and I'm sure that there'll be some things that will catch me by surprise in it. But again, if I can keep my mom out of uh, a home, you know, I think that she'd be happier. And if I can create value for a bunch of nursing students, you know,
0: hallelujah, you know, so. Yeah, I think, you know, Graham, your problem solving uh, out of the box thinking is something that definitely has helped you throughout and your career. And with a big
4: heart, see, so
3: for sure, it yeah. has been
4: great for me. I, I'm always amazed personally that we've all attended reunions together. And I feel very fortunate that I've been able to be on the grounds with all of you. But there's this time we can't spend together. So I think your story and being able to pass it on and share it with other people so we can learn from each other and continue to grow is wonderful. So I'm grateful for today. So thank you very much.
0: Well, thank you guys. Thanks very yeah, much. Thank you. Thank you, Graham. That was a, it was a great hour. Thank you for your time. It's awesome. Okay.
4: Take care, Graham.
3: Thanks, okay. Graham. Bye bye. Good to see everybody.
4: you. Have a great week.
3: Bye. Bye.